Welcome to My Best 11 podcast. Today we are joined by a striker um, who played and started his career at Coventry and has been on a number of loan spells at a number of clubs including Braga, Stockport, Luton and spent a large portion of his career at Birmingham, then Forest, Leeds, back to Coventry, Chesterfield, Scunthorpe, Doncaster and Eastleigh. And he's currently the um, caretaker, I suppose it might be the right word or might not be the right word anymore politically, um, but he's currently the manager of Doncaster Rovers. Today we are joined by Gary McSheffrey. How are you, Gary? Yeah, good, thanks, Andrew. Good, thanks, Marv. Thanks. Fantastic, fantastic. So, Marv, how do you know Gary? Well, I mean, I was on the coaching staff at Luton. Everyone knows, well, not everyone, but most people who know Luton know that I've spent all my career at Luton. And so Chef was like um, alone, come on loan for us when I was of, on the coaching staff. And he was um, had a massive impact on just how he, he just played the game. I mean, he was like, he was pacey and great touch, left foot. Like it, it just, it was just class. As soon as he joined us, and you saw, he saw him coming to the building. It was just, oh my gosh! It's like he was class, basically. And you could see he was from a level above from us, and and he did um really, really well for us. So got to know him through through that. That's the way, wasn't it, Chef? Really, I think that's how we know each other. I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you you had a good crop of young lads, then, didn't you? And uh, yeah, there was a few breaking through. And I I come in, yeah, I come in under Mike Newell, Mick Harford, Steenie. Uh, great club for me. Like on the flip side of that, you saying that I made a huge impact. I, you know, I I didn't really see it that way. I I I remember looking back and thinking Luton put me back on the map because I bounced onto the scene at sixteen at Cov and played in the Prem as the youngest player. And then I had another the beginning of the next season. I had five appearances in the first team again, three in the Prem, two in the League Cup. You play home and away first rounds of the League Cup, and uh, physically I weren't ready. So I had a little dip. I had a couple of years away from the first team, and I was still at Cov. I mean, I had a two-year deal, and then I was still seen as a prospect. Then I had a three-year deal, and then I had a year under Gary McAllister in his first year, and I, I started the season really well. I think I scored eight in eight by the beginning of October. And then I had a bit of a dry spell and I only scored one more for the rest of the season. So what happened was Gary McAllister, you know, I still had a two-year contract, but he he said I'm available to leave or go out on loan or however we wanted to play it. So yeah, the next year I come back, did a good pre-season, trained, always trained right, trained well. And, and Gary McAllister called me actually. And the day he called me, I just played, uh, we'd just done an 11 v 11 in training Friday before a game at Coventry. And I was obviously in the reserve team. And we won 2-1 and I'd scored two. So he called me that afternoon and I thought, oh, decently, I've made the squad. <laughs> I've made the squad. But it it was to say that Mike Newell had been in touch. He'd watched a reserve game and he wanted to take me alone at Luton. And, you know, at first I was at first I was disappointed with how the call went. Of course. Because I wanted to obviously play in Cobb's first team. But then I spoke to Mike Newell and he, he had a good chat. And he says, so do you fancy coming? I went, I went, uh, yeah, come on, let's give it a go. And, and he went, do you mean let's give it a go, lad? <laughs> he said, do you want to come or not? And I went, yeah, no, I'll come. So how, I, how, I, how I phrased it was like, he took a bit of an insult and uh, he was like, That's what do you mean? <laughs> he was like, we're a proper setup here, you know? And, and I said, look, I apologise for how it sounded. But yeah, so I, so then I come and yeah, I think I think I scored. 
think I don't know if I scored one or two on my debut against Wickham. And it mm. just like, I think I got like 10 in 18. And like I say, what what a bunch of lads, great squad, good players, loved loved playing at Kenilworth Road. You know, I liked how tight and compact it was. And as I say, put me put me right back on the map and, and really deep down, would have loved to have stayed. And Mike wanted to do something permanent. The, the only thing was, I was a cov kid and I had unfinished business and wanted a career there. Otherwise, it, I, we would have definitely tried to make it a permanent. But the only thing was, was that I was a local lad and, and I wanted to, I wanted to make a name for myself at Cobb. Excellent. Fair enough. Fair enough. So what we're going to do is we go through um, Gary's best 11 players he's ever played with. Different players do this differently. Some do um, the best players um, in terms of technically, some do it in terms of the way they've had the biggest impact on their career. Totally up to Gary how he runs this. It's it's his eleven, and myself and Marv are here to host and also to try and guess as we go along with some clues offered. So listeners, listen in, see if you can guess who is in Gary's team. Starting off though, and this is intriguing. Obviously, his um, his first kind of full dabble into um, first team management. What, what formation are you doing, Gary? And how did you come up with the formation for this team? So this team, my best seven. Yes. Yeah. I'm, doing, I'm doing a... It could be classed as a 4-3-3 or a 4-4-2 diamond. So with the personnel of... If it was a 4-3-3, you'd probably think, how are them three strikers going to like set up? So I'm going to say it's a 4-4-2 diamond because one of the strikers could clearly play as like a 10 in behind the, the other two. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. So we'll jump straight in. Start off with goalkeeper. Let's and you can give honourable mentions. Yes, yeah. yeah, so let's give you honourable mentions first off, and then don't yeah. worry about clues for them. And then give us some clues before you get to your goalkeeper. Um, yeah, play with some really good goalkeepers. Um, there'll be a there'll be a few disappointed that they've not got the mention. Uh, if I give a few honourable mentions away, then it's just going to narrow down who the one is. So I can see your well, tactics. Then, yes. oh, okay, you can do the other way around. Okay. You can do one of mentions after. That's absolutely fine. Yeah, yeah. that's fine. Oh, so I, I, do you know what? I'm just going to go. I'm just going to go straight in there before he's even opened his mouth. Steve Akrosovic. No, no. See, that would have been that would have been one, but he, he was a legend, like, and he nurtured us really well. You know, in training and games, he used to play reserve games, but but now, nah, I mean, I've I've gone big time, mate. I've gone international footballer. <laughs> um, uh, Started in started in the lower leagues, um, got bought by one of the big hitters of world football today as a youngster. Uh, good cricketer. Um, you got it, I think so. Did sorry. he go? I think so. Yeah. Lots of England caps. Um, going a little bit thin on top, but trying to hide it with uh, some, I don't know, maybe some powder or something. Robin? <laughs> I mean, the only one I can think of is Chris Kirkland. Chris Kirkland's one who I've gone for. No, Chris Kirkland's only had one England Cup. Ooh. I did. Oh, okay, right. Righty ho. So when I played with him, him, when I played with him, was he was on a season-long loan from a Premiership club to a Premiership club at Birmingham. At Birmingham. Yes. Got it. You got it, Andrew. Well, yeah, I guess Birmingham. So I'm all right. I'm good. Well, go on. I haven't got it. Joe Hart. Joe Hart, yes. Yes. Well done, yes. Andrew. We can't have I mean, him doing us in the first one. Good job, Andrew. Yeah, well no. done. <laughs> so, so I apologise to, yeah, 
Mike Taylor, great goalkeeper, Grizovic, yeah. Kirky, Magnus Hedman was yeah. was there from my, my younger days at Carver. I apologise to them. Good goalkeepers. Yeah, very hey, good. You, listen, you're a gaffer now. You're a man. You don't need to apologise. If you pick the team, don't worry about apologising to any of them. They didn't, they didn't make okay. it. They're on the subs bench. That's right. How are you with Joe Hart? Obviously, Joe Hart coming in. You were you were well and truly into the prime of your career when you were at Birmingham. I mean, established Premier League player by that point. Um, top goal scorer. I think I was doing some research. Top goal scorer for at least one season. So, how did you yeah. take on Joe Hart when he came in? Were you were you nice to him to start off with and go, come on, mate, I know you're young. Let's let's bed you in. Or did you just go, nah, nah, mate, this is this is the big time now. I mean he'd already he'd already had a he'd already had a few seasons for Man City, hadn't he? Yeah. And then he then he took a period out of the team and that's when we got him. And that would have been my fourth season at Birmingham, I think third or fourth season. It was towards um, the end, yeah. So no, I was fine with him. I'd already I'd already scored past him in the Prem. <laughs> Did you mention it? So that was the one straight away. Yeah, penalty. Penalty at St. Andrews and he's coming up to the ball and he's in my face and he's gone, where are you going? Come on then, where are you going? And I've just gone, look, get back on your line, son. I'm going left side, but you'll have to go early to get anywhere near it. And he says, no, banter, you're going to go that way. I said, yeah, I'm going that way. And I just fizzed it in that way, just started it outside the post a bit. He's went early. He's got his fingertips to it, to be fair, but he's almost sort of like <laughs> helped, it, helped it into the top corner. And uh, straight ever since that, first thing he said to me when he come was, he, I'm obviously celebrating. He's looking at me laughing, shaking his head. And then he remembered it straight away. He said, I can't believe you told me where you were going. And, uh, yeah. That That's confidence, easy. backing yourself that much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just one of them, innit? I just I had to I had to pretend like I was having myself. <laughs> <laughs> when you stepped up to take that penalty, how confident were you going to put it in the back of the net? Were you slightly going, maybe I shouldn't have? And I was confident. I was confident. Um, On a run? I was confident. I was having a good, I was having a good game. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was, we were playing pretty well at that time, so... Confident, just wanted him back on the line, out me, out me vision, so I could take it. Yeah, he's a big boy, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, he's 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 actually big. He's probably bigger in person, you know, than he looks like on TV. He is right. quite thick set. He's thick set as well, you know, big upper body, big 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 back on him and everything. So, and he's so at. He was so he was like a cat, honestly. And he was the first one I seen, you know, that did the sidewinder. His sidewinder kick was unreal, mate. He 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 could comfortably after training we'd have like little little sessions mess about sessions he'd be practicing his kicking but it'd be sidewinding and we'd be out on the left wing but halfway into the opposition half he'd be hitting you on the fall you know and it wouldn't it would be head height all the way unreal big boy but amazing goalkeeper so you got your goalie let's move to right back right back um republic of ireland international lots of caps um started at tottenham yeah Went on to went on to Newcastle, and then come to Birmingham at the end of his career, and had a good few seasons. When when he, he actually he'd actually semi retired and went back to Ireland, but he come back he come back out of retirement. Good, Andrew. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know he'd gone, but I, I totally forgot he'd gone Newcastle. Yeah, he was at Newcastle. Yeah, yeah I just Newcastle. forgot. He once had curtains. Yeah, 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 yeah. Black air, wasn't it? Yeah. Go on, Andrew. Stephen Carr. Yes, Stephen. Yeah, good player, wasn't he? Like attacking, attacking fullback, wasn't he? Joined in, great yeah, energy. He yeah, he was a tank, a little tank, mate. Honestly, unreal. 
What do you look for in a right back and left back? Obviously, being a striker and now managing, what do you look for? Is it are you looking now for in the modern day football? It seems like they've become almost pseudo wingers, and you're playing a diamond as well, which means they're going to be even more up and down. I'd imagine. Yeah, in the modern in the modern day, it's ridiculous. They've they've almost got to be they've got to be so reliable on the ball. They've got to be energy, good crosses, good recovery, and the. The shape I'm playing, the two off-picked, I think in that final third always had good end product, you know, in their delivery as well. Is that something you look for now as a manager? Are you looking for um, somebody you can get up and down, up and down? Or are you more a case of, no, defending is your main job, attacking is an extra? Um, I think you just got to adapt with what players you've got. So I've inherited a group where we're a little bit in between at the minute. We, we haven't got them out-and-out wingers where you could just say to the fullbacks, look, just support it rather than bomb on too much. So kind of asking them to do a bit of everything at the minute. Um, and then we've, we've, we've had lots of injuries. So once we get a few fit players back, we can let them really work, you know, do the attacking, the attacking third and the fullbacks can prioritise on defending, but, you know, obviously join in when they can. Yeah. And I suppose it's also something that you've almost got to decide early in the season or pre-season because their fitness levels have got to be at such a level. I'm assuming to get fitness this time of year is quite tough anyway, because you're you're just doing recovery. Yeah, I mean, obviously when there's a change of manager, there's always a... I think most of them probably would always come in and go, I think we could get a bit more out of these fitness levels, you know? I think the injury hit season Doncaster have had, I think the training schedules probably protected the players a bit in for fearing more injuries. And that can... That can uh, decondition, you know, and condition you a little bit. And yep. it's been it's been quite it's been quite technical, 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 rather than you know real high intensity. And we've just we've just started to increase the intensity a bit in training. And, and you know, regardless of the amount of games, you, you've got to get up, you know, you've got to get up to the speed and up to the intensity levels and fitness levels required because you know that's what the best teams do. They have they have lads, relentless players that can just go two, three times a week, every week for 35, 40 weeks, you know, and yeah, that's, that's ideally that's what you want. But, you know, some people, some people aren't robust enough and can't handle that. We've had a lot of injuries this year and, you know, so it's, it's getting the balance right, getting the yeah. balance right to, to not make the squad even thinner. Fair enough. Fair enough. And Stephen Carr, um, you mentioned he went back to Ireland, but then came back across when you played for him. Did he say why he came back? Did he, did he miss the with a great respect to the Irish League? Did he miss the buzz of the Premier League, or did he feel he had unfinished business? I don't think he was playing. He weren't playing over there. He was just like playing golf and almost <laughs> semi-retired, but without announcing retirement, went home for a bit because he was at. I think his contract ran out probably at Newcastle previous season, so he went home for about six months. Then I think he got a bit bored and just. I think Alex McLeish was manager. Roy Aitken was his assistant. And I think they got him in just, just to train because we had, who did we have? We had Stuart Parnaby and Stephen Kelly as right backs at the club. And um, he trained for a few weeks and, and then they, all of a sudden, they both got, both got injured within a probably couple of weeks. And to say he wasn't doing much for six months, when he came in and trained, it was just like, this, this fella's fitness levels are unreal. And, uh, and that's, they, literally, I think they had, we had Crystal Palace away in a midweek game and he literally had to just, Get a deal, get a deal agreed, get wages agreed, 
and just quickly sign on the day before on the Monday to play on this Tuesday night game. And I'm, I'm not even messing. He probably didn't miss a game after that game for two and a half seasons. Just just getting in off the off chance like that. So really good. Incredible. Brilliant. Incredible. So left back. Left back was a left back was a flip of flip of three. Good players. Three. But, but again, I've went so honor, honorable mention to Frank Woodrow. Again, he was my partner in crime down the left side at Birmingham. And an honorable mention, Stephen Warnock. He did a season-long loan at Cov from Liverpool as a as a youngster, got player of the year and stuff, and then went on to obviously play for England and that, which was really good. But I've, again, I've gone with an Irish international. Um, Liverpool, ex-Liverpool. Possibly one of their highest ever cap earners. Um, real good, real good lager drinker. Um, a wonder of a left foot, yeah. Uh, you probably guessed it already, mate. Ex-Liverpool, ex-Aston Villa. Steve Storton. Steve Storton, yeah. He come to Coventry and Steve was really a big, Steve was a real big influence, you know. He was, he was, he guided, he gave me some good guidance when, because I was out, I was, what was I, I was coming up to, I think it's when we left Highfield Road, our last season at Highfield Road and there was quite a bit of interest from a couple of clubs and we were going to the Rico and, you know, Steve Staunton was a, a voice and he, he says, well, as a local boy, you know, I'd have thought, sure, you know, I think you'd, you'd hate not to play at the new big stadium in your city, wouldn't you know? So that I did, I stayed another year and that's when I moved on then the year later to Birmingham. So Steve was always good, you know, for like a little bit of advice and because, and a, you know, he'd been there, seen it and mm. done everything in the game. So I, I, I classed him as a, you know, a bit of a mentor during that couple of seasons at Cov as well. So that's a good point then, him saying then that to you, Chef, then, because do you think if you're not, Spoke to him. You might have left a year earlier. Then, well, Maybe. I was. Do you know what? I, I went to. I went to meet. Uh, um, was it? I meant. I went to meet uh, McDermott at Reading. Went on to manage Leeds. He was the. He was the chief scout at the time at Reading, with uh, when Coppel, Steve Coppel was manager, and um, they were a champ club similar to Cov. You know, not even they weren't in the playoffs that year. They were probably floating around eighth, ninth. So, I looked at it and thought. At the minute, that'd just be a sideways move, you know. I, I, we're going into the Rico and, yeah, I decided to stay. And to be fair, Cobb ended up offering me a better contract as well. But what what Steve Staunton didn't tell me was that Reading were going to get 106 points that season and get promoted <laughs> to the Prem. So uh, I looked and I thought, tell you what, I'd have been in the Prem now. But then, luckily, Birmingham come in the, the next summer and, you know, that's when... Again, it was a championship club because they'd just got relegated, but the squad they had was tremendous and we bounced straight back up that first year. So, you know, I got the I got to play at the Rico, obviously. And then I went back there as well later on in my career. So I got the best of both, really. I still got the move where you go and play premiership football, but I also got, you know, the first the first season in the new stadium as well. You mentioned um, earlier on 16. I mean, obviously, I mean, to break into the team early, at a young age. What, tell us a little bit about your path. I mean, before that, I mean, like growing up, was I mean, as a kid, like I suppose like me and most kids was was watching the FA Cup final or watching games and wanting to be a player. How do you who, how do you get picked up by Coven? I know that was your boyhood club. Was there other clubs interested in you? Um, yeah, so basically, I'm the youngest of four boys, so... My second oldest brother, he was decent, so he played for Cov, uh, Centre of Excellence back then. Um, so they knew they knew of us, like they knew of us, and and they they 
they they knew that the young it, it, they just it sounds a bit like big headed, but they knew the youngest one was the best. No. So they were all like, and I'd often always watch my brothers and and sneak on the bench. You know, it may be eight years old for the under tens or uh, nine years old for the under 11s what sneak on the bench you know and, and my old man used to always say make sure your boots are in the car you know make sure you put your boots in the car in case you get a game and whenever I had a game for them like, I just used to nick a goal you'd probably lose 6-2 or something but I'd nick a goal as sub and then and then I started playing for a, a grassroots team and we were decent good team local in Cov and yeah the scouts just come and I think I got invited in at about nine to train with the under 10s or, or 10, maybe something like that. And it wasn't regular football and it was probably just one game a month, but trained once or twice a week. And then, so I did three seasons at grassroots, I think. And then it's when it was the under 12 season or under 13 season, that's when, that's when the centre of excellence started going regular, regular um, games programmes every Sunday, wasn't it? And, so we started playing against we started playing against Villa, Leicester, Walsall, um, you know all all the Midland teams really. A uh, couple couple a bit further down, maybe like your Oxfords and Northampton was was one that was always in our kind of like league. And yeah, just just played through the age groups then from there. And then at then at fourteen there was a bit of a decision because Everton got involved and Aston Villa got involved. I mean, Villa. I was never going to go. It was like we were local rivals, and but but I knew they had. I knew they had a class team. We we used to. We had a really good team. Cov. We used to beat them. We used to beat them teams, and our age group was really good all through the, all through the levels. And uh, I think they probably took seven or eight of us on as scholars, and, and then brought in a few from Scotland, Ireland, and places like that. But um, but yeah. So, and, and the Everton one really. That was when it comes to signing schoolboy forms at 14. So really that that used them really as a bit of leverage and, and Coventry then stumped up a, a two-year two year schoolboy forms, a one-year YTS, two-year pro. So at 14 then, at 14 then my next five years was mapped out. And that was great because you know I knew I knew I was I knew what I was doing after school. My my school teachers didn't really understand it and believe it you know the careers advisor and stuff they didn't really know that it was actually a job and I just said no that's what I'm doing and how many times was the phrase backup mentioned yeah yeah have you got a backup or or no but what about a real a lot of it was yeah but what about a real job what are you going to do for real (laughs) well I'm going to be getting paid for it and they couldn't the penny didn't really drop and uh so yeah that was that was good then because I knew then I knew I had a right good crack at it you know I and and yeah, I broke in a lot earlier than I ever thought I would. But do you know what? I think deep down, like I remember my dad saying, um, he he expected it. He wasn't surprised because we, I was scoring that many goals as a first year scholar that it was going to happen. And and yeah, I probably broke in a little bit too early. But you know, I, I wouldn't change it. Wouldn't change it for anything. Mm. Did, I mean, did that go straight from then? I mean, saying that you score goals, so you went from the youth team scoring as a first-year scorer, then into reserves scoring goals, and then they thought, you know what, we've got, we've got to keep testing him to see when he might not score sort of thing. Was it, Or did you miss the reserves completely? Yeah, I missed the reserve. I made my first-team debut without... I might have kicked... Do you know what? I played reserves as a year 11 at school. I played reserves, a few reserve games, you know, on a Monday night, Pontins League. And... Uh, and then, but during that first year scholar, 
one of my mates, one, one of our one of my good mates, he was our left left centre back and captain in the youth team. He had about 10, 10 reserve games. You know, Trevor Pete used to love him. He'd be like, anytime we needed a scholar, yeah, we'll take Cuddy. And we were all like, oh, I wish we could get these reserve games. And from nowhere, I'm in the first, I'm in the first team. Me and Chris Kirkland, it was the same day we got called into the Villa game, Villa away. And my debut, we beat Villa away 4-1, massive derby. So it's a, it's a game that's historic with the club. And uh, so, yeah, by, bypassed it, but then started playing reserves loads the next year as a second-year scholar and then played reserves for about three solid years <laughs> before breaking in again. But I had, but then I had a quite a, I had a, a, an injury-hit season as well when I went to Prague in the summer. I was out really for that whole season. I think that might have been my my first year pro. Might have been out really on and off for the whole season. That's why I went to Sweden and had a loan during the summer the summer months because that was when their league was on. Yeah, but, um, excellent. But now, just yeah, it was a good pathway, clear pathway at Coventry at the time. If you were good enough, you you get a chance, and it was Premiership football as well. Which you you look, I look back now and I compare and I think bloody hell, it's difficult. But it was difficult then because it was Premiership football. But obviously yeah. the inv- the investment in recruitment was was probably a lot bigger compared to some clubs now as well. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Brilliant. So we're going to move across to centre-backs. Let's see who's in centre-backs. Here's one for you. Both scored in World Cups. Both scored in World Cups? Yeah. Um, one's English, left-footed, started at, maybe started at Luton. Yeah. He's been on the pod, Marv. Yeah. Went to Arsenal. Yeah. And I played with him at Birmingham. I think he was the most... I think he, he yeah. We spoke to him and he's been on the pod and he played one cup game, was it, Marv? Before he got a million pounds signed. He played... A substitute. He was a sub. sub, Yeah, sub. sub, And he played one cup game and moved for a million pounds to Arsenal. Matty Upson. Yeah, Matty Upson, left centre-back. Yes. Was he captain at Birmingham for a while? Um, He he was... When I first got there, he was injured and then he'd come in. um, I don't know if he wore the... He might have wore the armband a few games, but I think... We had a different captain, uh, but he had a hell of a three months, and then he got he got the move to West Ham in the January. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, roomed with him for a, for a couple of months and learned a lot from him. Mate. He was so professional, it was untrue, so unreal. Had a had a routine on a Friday, you know, he'd do exercises in the room, he'd have his bath, he's at he it just just I just I had a look at him and I thought it's different levels, isn't it? I, like he's his prep was ridiculous, and, and I was a little bit like toe rag coming from Cov. And, uh, <laughs> and he come through, he come through the Wenger years at Arsenal, and <laughs> but then I but then I asked for, do you know what though? I've played a lot more football than you in the last few years, so maybe you just, <laughs> maybe you need he to. Go said, back he, said, to he says he has that. He, has, he says his professionalism is is thanks down to me, um, Jeff, because when he was at Luton, he said it was a case of like not how to conduct yourself was what gave, <laughs> gave him the inspiration to, to go on to be um, a top player. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. He, he was a good lad. He, he very, the way he spoke was very, uh, lots of etiquette as well. And in, in, yes. in, uh, in his mannerisms, he's, he was a great lad. Fantastic. Fantastic. So next to Matty Upson, we've got another player who has scored in the yeah. World Cup. So he's, in the World Cup. So he scored, scored in the World Cup. I think he's won a African Nations. Um, this one, this this will give it away straight away. Played for Bolton um, under Big Sam. Oh, centre back. Yes. Big Sam, Big Sam bought him the year 
the summer after scoring in the World Cup? Or Tunisia? Can't think of it. Come on, Andrew. Might be, you might be too young, Andrew. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I'm not that old. Since, since retiring. No. Since retiring, he went on to coach at... Um, um, is, oh it, is it? Is it? Is it? Is there an American club called Har- Hartford or something? Yes, 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 yes. Hartford, yeah, and then yeah. Hartford. Hartford, and he was Southampton under twenty threes coach. Oh. Then he went to Hartford for a year's work, work experience, work like a, an exchange, work exchange. What was Boaz? Boaz was he Tunisian? Was he Algerian? Boaz was. Well, he might have been Algerian. Algerian, maybe. Yeah. Algerian. I know. I. I mean, if Andrew's not going to get it, I'm not. I know who you're talking about, but I can't. I can't. I can't think of his name. Do you say Tunisian, Moroccan? Because I'm trying to think of all those players from that Northern Africa. But Tunisian. He's Tunisian, and now he's now he's managing or assisting in the in the. I think it might be the Belgian league or a French the French league. And I think what club it is. I, I can't think of his name. I'm not going to get it. Andrew, you're not going to get it. Then if you can't think who it is, I can't think who. It is. Because once you say his name, I'm gonna just go oh, to smash my. Ben, but no, Ben Haim was no, no. Batal Ben Haim was he went to Bolton, didn't he? So his surname begins with a J. Oh, um, yeah, not I, I'll not say Yani. It's not Yani, isn't it? I can't, go on, say it. Go on, you've done this. Go on, Radi Jaidi. That's it. That's <laughs> it. Do you know what's gonna annoy me? It's on my go piece on. of paper. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> I just oh. didn't think he was Tunisian. I thought, I don't know why. I don't know why I didn't have him down as Tunisian. Ah. Apologies yeah. to a few, but like I said, I've gone a bit big time with me back four there. I've gone, <laughs> cap, I've gone caps and World Cup goals. I had to. <laughs> and he scored in the World Cup, which is, is which for a centre-back is um, for Tunisia. Yeah, he, he honestly he scored... I think in our promotion season at Birmingham, I think he scored seven from like attacking set plays. Unreal. You just put it in, put it in an area and he'd get on the end of it. Great. That's for, yeah. Yes, yeah, so I know exactly. Found space, found space, found space in the box, but but then he'd finish like a salmon, you know, with, with his head. He was really good. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Oh, that's really annoyed me. So you've got Matty Upson, Steve Staunton, Stephen Carr, and Rajay Edi with Joe Hart. Oh, that's, a, that's a very... Very strong, strong defence there. Very strong. Well, now, isn't it? Is that because he's going to go flamboyant in the rest? Maybe. Like, we will we'll see. Got, got a very workmanlike midfield. <laughs> very workmanlike. Fantastic. So what we can do is we're going to pause it right there. Um, myself and Marv are going to go hang our heads in shame during the break. And when we come back, we will hear the rest of Gary Jeffries' My Best Eleven. Right, we're back for the second part of Gary McSheffrey's My Best Eleven. So far, Joe Hart, Stephen Carr, Steve Staunton, Matty Upson and Raya Jaidi. I'm going to hand straight over to Marv for Marv's 60 seconds. If you can just answer quick fire, Gary, as soon as whatever the answer is that Marv gives you the question to. Over to you, Marv. Okay, Chef. Um, Bundesliga, La Liga or Serie A for quality? Bundesliga. Maradona or Pele? Maradona. Golden goal or penalty shootout? Penalty shootout. VAR or no VAR? No VAR. 
favourite other sport? Um, pro- possibly, I'd probably say golf, although I don't play a lot of it, but I do enjoy a game of golf. All right. Um, best ground you've played at? Um, I liked the Emirates. Emirates had a bit of class about it. Okay. And best player you've seen live, not on the field of them, you've like gone to a game and you've seen them, best player you've seen live? Um, to be honest, I don't get time to watch great players play live at the minute. So I'd probably have to say, Gerard. there was a game against him where he was just a different gear. He was, you just couldn't get near him. Okay. Funniest teammate or player? Um, oh, Frank Quadru, he had, he had really good banter. Okay. Beer, wine, spirit or water? Which one? Beer. Beer. Last one, Marv. <laughs> All right. Fish and chips, burger and chips or pasta? Pasta. Okie dokie. So... Frank Kudrow had some banter about him. Which dressing room, um, in terms of, you say, obviously banter, I know it might be difficult to answer. Which dressing room would you say was the most banterous? Was it always promotion? Winning breeds that that mentality, do you think? Um, I think I think if you can find a good dressing room that's that's not just good because of success, I think that's the key. That's the key now. Like, Are they hard to find? Going going in now at Doncaster, for example, it's trying to set the environment where they're all they're all happy and and you know don't feel so much pressure. Whereas you know you, you could go in there and you could hear probably lots of banter, but that might be papering over cracks. You know, just people putting a front up to you know to hide their kind of insecurities and their fears. So for me, for me, if you can just have that sort of camaraderie and that. Uh, team spirit without actually winning then i think that's that's the that's the they're the key ingredients to go on and be successful sorry that ended up sounding a bit more like a job interview than anything <laughs> no, no. no it's, a good, it's a good question i mean i mean i mean i was only involved in the the one time when the the luton got promoted from the what was then the the fourth division but funny enough all the other years i had is like Chef says it wasn't like, I mean, we didn't like, like go miserably like points adrift at the bottom or it wasn't that a case where we were in the playoffs. It was a case where you just had a dressing room where it is hard to explain. The games were looking after themselves. Really. With the, the, just the banter and the fun you had, you, we, were, we, we were quite successful without me really thinking about it now on the, on the, on the back end of it. Apart from you just asking that question now, Andrew, do you know what I mean? Sort of thing. So we had quite a, a successful season in probably one of the, the best squads I was in at when I when I was played at Luton. And it was a case where you, we didn't really like flirt with relegation, but we weren't really there with promotion. So, yeah. yeah I, got, I got that at Luton. When I went into Luton, I thought this changing room is ridiculously how, how they just, there's no egos there's there's loud there's ones that are chirpier and louder of course and jokers but there's no egos I remember like goalie remember Bex Beckwith the goalie he was just yeah. a kid wasn't he yeah, yeah Nico Nico the captain and the loudest one you'd have Bex making jokes on 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 the captain and Howie and that as well so it was like no fear of no fear of of you were allowed a voice you're allowed opinion and nothing would no one would hold anything against you and like and then the expectation as well. The expectation levels were 
probably, you know, let's, let's just not get relegated, you know? So let's not fear if we're not doing unbelievably well, because that you felt like there weren't that much pressure on just the, like you said, the results took after, look, looked after themselves for a few years at Luton like that, because they've got that momentum and they've got a good dressing room. Yeah. yeah. Well, you, you went on a few places on loan. Um, is that, is that what's, what's the, obviously you're talking about dressing rooms. Is that difficult coming in as a loan player? Um, obviously not known dressing room and, and maybe knowing you're not going to be there for, for a long, long while. Different, different circumstances. So the Luton one, I was, it was about going and grasping an opportunity and getting good game time. And like I say, putting my name back on the map a bit. Um, I went Knott's Forest on loan. That was about going to get fit after being injured and probably a little bit naive to think that you'd go there and hit the ground running after being injured on and off for probably six, seven, eight months at, at Birmingham with a persistent knee injury. And uh, so that didn't go as I planned because I ended up needing surgery after four games. It would, But it was more a case of, if I don't do this, I don't know if it will stand up to it. So it kind of made me mind that I needed surgery. So I don't look that, I would have loved to have stayed there longer. And but that's, a, that's another, that's another story. And then there was, then there was another one where I went to Leeds from Birmingham. So we're in the Prem at Birmingham. And I think I've started probably three games that season on the build up to Christmas. And I've been on the bench for like the other 18 or something. And Leeds come in and Leeds are top of League One. And I'm thinking Leeds are getting 35,000 in League One, you know, and it's the, the history of the club. And so then I went there when really, I don't think that had happened now. I think that would be a bit unheard of now from sitting on the bench in the Prem to go into League One now. would I don't think it would happen. Um, looking back, I should have just probably sat on the bench at Birmingham and been a bit less impatient, been a bit more patient, sorry. But then... I was out of contract in the summer, so I wanted to go make an impact somewhere and have a good second half of the season. But like I say, then I was at, then I had to deal with the expectancy level then of getting a Premiership player. He's going to come into a top of the table team and surely be the one that just gets us right over the line. And yeah, but it was difficult. It was difficult. I started a few games and then difficult to hold down a place because again, I hadn't played enough to come in and hit the ground running come in and played well off adrenaline for probably two or three games. And then you've got the likes of Robert, Robert Snodgrass got left out of the team for me to come in. But then Snoddy was a superb player. You've got Bradley Johnson in that midfield. You had Max Gradle. You had Neil Kilkenny. Um, you had Michael Doyle. You had um, Halson that, was, that went on to get promoted and play for Middlesbrough and Norwich in the Premiership and that. So Johnny Halson, yeah, honestly, uh, that one for me was a whole different pressure because the expect the expectancy level from the Leeds fans and, and me me coming and being a doing really well it, I didn't live up to it that was a frustrating one so it can be difficult depending on the circumstances yeah yeah well, interesting so we're going to get back to your start 11 let's move on to you said the workman like is your midfield so we'll start off at the base of the diamond yeah Scottish international any manager? Come to Birmingham late on in his career after being a legend at one of the old firm clubs. Oh. Captain in. Captain in one of them for years. Oh! Um, I thought you were going to go Gary McAllister. No. No, no but I'm not, I know he who might, he is. He might be somewhere else in the team, though. Yeah, true, true, true. I reckon, have you reckon who it is? I assume this is Rangers. Barry Ferguson? Barry Ferguson, yeah. Yeah, Barry was, a, he was just unbelievable at making this, 
making the simple things just look really easy. And how many times you talk about when you're coaching now, if we can keep the first pass on a turnover and get the attack going or keep the first couple of balls, he didn't, he'd break up play so much and then just lend it to a fullback or an advanced midfielder, you know, keep, make the, he'd make passes look so easy. And I find some players find it difficult to have that calmness of, of once you're pressing and you broke play up, to then have the calmness to just make the simple pass look really easy. It's the vision that he must have had for that was, was, was different class. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Alex McLeish brought him down. Is that right? Yeah. McLeish brought him down. Um, played, like I say, played every game. You know, he was always there. Didn't miss a training session and were top, top player. All the attention was superb. Fantastic. Fantastic. Which is what you need in that position. So wherever you want to go now, depending on how you're going to do this, Okay, so we'll go right side of the diamond. We'll go um, Scottish international and captain. Played for him, played with him, played, <laughs> played him. with him. On, played with him on my debut. You just said him two minutes ago. Yeah, Gary Callister. Do you think yeah. the right? Okay, so because different people have had him in their team, and they put him. Everybody's put him in a different place. Where? What's your reasoning for putting him on the right hand side? Um, really, he he's, he he used to play in the middle with a two you know, of a 4-4-2 of back in the day, really, didn't he? So in that position, he's still really sitting in the centre centre with, with a two. Yep. And at Coventry, he just scored. He scored so many good goals. He scored. He'd arrived, he'd arrived at the right time in the box to finish off cutbacks. He'd score long ranges. Uh, so, yeah, for me, I wouldn't put him sitting in a diamond. I think sometimes when he played in a two, he'd naturally just go and... I think centre mids back then, they didn't just play like that. They'd dovetail each other, wouldn't they? Yeah. And he'd naturally go and collect the balls, which would probably make him look like a deep midfielder and then spray diagonals. But then he'd get on the end of things as well. So he was just, he just, he had the lot. He had the lot, really. He had the lot. Yeah. So um, how, how, like you said, you played for him. How was he as a, as a manager? Because um, obviously he's now very like, well established with Mr. Gerrard now uh, as his assistant. So did he make that transition um, from a player to a manager well, as you, so he, as you so he, thought? So he left Cov as a player and I'd already made my debut, like I say, at 16 and he played. And uh, I think at the end of that season, that's when he went and had two or two two great years at Liverpool and won things under Gerard Houllier, didn't he? Scored some great goals. And then, then he come back as manager. And the first thing he did was... He rang me because I was out of contract, but I was I was over in the Toulon tournament with England under twenties, and uh, he rang me and he said, "Look, I'm going to try and come out and watch a game. I know you're under, I know you're out of contract, but I want to get that sorted straight away." Because he was obviously remembering what what I was like when when he'd left, and it stuck in his head. And uh, yeah, so straight away he gave me a three year contract and had a like I say, I hit the ground running for him. I was unbelievable for four four months, and then after after this end of that first year that's when he basically put me out on the transfer list as well so but you know what not not in a bad way said he'd help me in whatever way he could get me a club stuff like that so sound fella honestly did it did it did it the right way was honest with me pulled me look I know you've got two years left but you're not going to be in my plans so you can stay and we'll pay you or you can go and get a career for yourself and you know like I say I had the loan at Luton and he was going to when I come back, he was going to put me in the team, but I, I had a, uh, I had to rest for ten days and get some treatment on a hamstring that I'd been playing f- for playing with on for Luton for ages. Uh, 
And then his wife got really poorly. So he, he retired, didn't he? And passed on the reins to Eric Black. And Eric Black took me in. And like I said, the rest was history. I never looked back then at Coventry for three and a half years. Mm. So yeah, he was, he was he was fine. He was fair. He was he was ruthless. He had high standards. Um, the way he fizzed the ball in, it could it could it could make you fear having a bad touch, you know, in training. So, like I say, one of them one of them players and managers at high expectancy level, but big really tests your character. And sometimes you'd probably feel like, is he trying is he trying to break me? Here? You know, is he really trying to test me? But I just think that was the mentality in that era of yeah. top Scottish coaches and footballers. They were they were ruthless in that way, weren't they? And they could see if you were mentally tough enough to handle it. I think, yeah. And also, I think you've made a very good point there earlier on when you said, look, I mean, he called you in. You had two years left. He said, look, you're not going to be part of my plans and stuff. I think players respect managers a lot more. But I mean, I know I would if I was in that situation that, tell you the truth and say, look, this is how it's going to be. Like, you're not going to be part of my plans, but, you know, who knows what could happen? Injuries, whatever, you can come back in. It, rather than saying, well, look, just string them along. Listen, you mean, keep doing that. You know I mean, and people are like putting in offers for you, bids for you. He's not going to tell you because he's trying to cover his own Mac because he knows you're quite good and you might save his skin because he might think he'll piss you off if you turn around and say you're not going to be part of his plans. So I think, I mean, it's, it's a, there's a lot of respect for him for doing that. Nah, he was good. He was on, like I say, he was honest. As a kid in the youth team, he was, uh, he was, it was unbelievable. And you know, he got called into first team training, and you're, you're playing with the likes of him, even across in a shooting drill. The way he used to zing a ball, a zing a ball out to the winger, him and Gordon Strachan, it was, it was ridiculous. It was like sidewinders, you know, that high off the grass for forty yards, and really, really test you. And but looking back now, yeah, it was what an experience for for youngsters, you know. Oh, definitely. Definitely. So, who's on the other side? Left or side. the other side of that diamond, I suppose. So, left side. Um, I think he was captain of that Birmingham team when you said was Matty Upson captain. I think he was the captain. Um, started at Tottenham. Good friends with Stephen Carr, actually. Um, son of a son of a son of an England legend goalkeeper. Yeah. Um, and yeah, went on, went on to he's, he's went on to now be a good coach and had a lot of assistant roles under Steve Bruce at his last few clubs. Is it Stephen Steve. Clements? It is, yeah. Stephen Clements, yeah. And I often yeah. say Stephen Clements is, when people say who's the best you've played with, I often say him because the, the he come into this Birmingham team in the November and for whatever reason, Bruce, he weren't playing. He was playing in like the League Cup games and Bruce was digging him out and he was digging him out and they'd have a go at each other and Honestly, some of the rows they had, I was thinking, bloody hell, this is like serious, this. And he put, he took, we, we went five without a win. And Bruce, was, Bruce was under a bit of pressure. And there was a game, Derby away, and he chucked, he chucked Stephen Clements in. He chucked Martin Taylor in the big centre-back, big tiny. And he chucked Damian Johnson in to the midfield as well with Clem. And Clem scored, we won 1-0. And then we went 13 and beat and 11 wins, two draws. And we, we, we went about 10 points clear. And he, he, he come in and literally just dragged us over the line to the, you know, to the Premier League and leaded by... So that's where I say he, he had a massive impact on me getting to the Premier League because he come in and it was the leader we needed, you know, when, when, it, when the going got tough 
Bruce could call on someone like him to come and lead the group, along with a couple more lads that were in the squad, and really took that season by the scruff of the neck. And but he had the lot, like he he chipped in with about six goals. He did all the dirty work, but then he had like he was unbelievable. He had like a Cruyff turn in the locker, you know, that would get him out of trouble and then just drive up the pitch with the ball. So he'd carry the team up the pitch as well. And that's why I often say he had a real Im- impact on my, my me getting back to the Premier League. So he was top drawer and that's why he's in there, yeah. And did um, Bruce compliment him then after that, like that run? Yeah, I mean, because he'd, he'd already done probably two good seasons at Birmingham for Bruce, maybe three. So that's why he knew he could dig him out. And that's why he knew he could probably, he knew he could probably take it. And, and he's always, he was probably just always trying to ignite some sort of reaction, you know, and it definitely got the reaction he wanted because, you know, to question, I think he said, you're pulling out of tackles, what you, you, you're bottling it a bit. And he, it really hurt him that he said that and he had it out with him. And like I say, after that argument, they never, never looked back and he, he got in and he was superb. Fantastic. That's obviously something that you're learning as a manager now is different people, different ways. Obviously, Steve Clements digging him out worked, whereas I'm sure there's other players in that Birmingham dressing room that if Bruce would have dragged, would have just dug him out, it'd have gone down like a sack of shit, and it would have it have ended badly. Yeah, maybe. I think that's where I think that's where somewhere someone like Bruce is underrated because he's evolved, isn't he? I think he's evolved with different teams he's had, and, and he rec- he recognizes that. The kids of today are different, you know, they're different. They're technically technically probably better players, but mentally they're probably not as strong because they've, you know, at the top clubs now, Cat One Academies, you do get a lot of things handed on a plate to you. You, you are good players and you're there for you're there because you deserve it. But you know, I think he I think he recognizes how to, you know, approach different different people. And the youngsters now, he's even he's even good with youngsters of, of the modern youngsters today, because like I say, they're they're not cut from the same cloth. They're different breeds. They're, they've been bought up with computers, aren't they, and iPhones. And, and they're not probably as good as holding conversations and people skills. And the best managers, I think, that are the ones that can deal with them different personalities. And, and he was really good at that. Yeah. Oh, very true. So we'll move on to the base of, I suppose, a number 10, a false, false 10? Yeah, number 10. He probably didn't play a lot in his career because a lot of the time he played up, up as a two, but... He could drop into these pockets uh, and he could play off the shoulder. Um, played with him at played Coventry. Italy. Played with him at Coventry. Um, played in Italy. He got a he got a move to Coventry from Wolves for a record yeah. record fee at the time. Then a year later, he got a move to Italy for double the money to Inter Milan. And I think he's Republic of Ireland's all time leading goal scorer. You always forget Robbie. he went to Inter Milan, don't you? Yeah. yeah, he did a year at Inter Milan, then he come back to Leeds, didn't he? Yes. Sorry, Marv. No, yeah, Robbie Key. I mean, fantastic player, but like four, um, forty. I think it was fourteen million. Was it fourteen? Yeah, so we we bought him for seven. Coventry bought him for seven, I think, uh, or maybe six, and then sold him for thirteen, I think. And uh, that, yeah, and we we then bought Craig Bellamy for six as well. I think literally the same sort of deal. Um, but yeah, I played with I played with Robbie. I think for three Premier League games when I was just turned seventeen, and obviously trained with him every day for a good a good few months. But he was coming from Wolves, and and they were obviously a champ club at the time, weren't they? And I think he was two two school years older than me, and a little bit like naive, thinking that we're getting a lad from Wolves, so he's going to be all right. But 
he was he was special. He was he was so good. It was ridiculous. He was so sharp in training. Um, made you realise that that was the level, and he was his finishing was ridiculous. He'd probably make three or four players a day in training, and I'm talking like David Burrows. He and he he he, he used to go after him, the left back. He used to go after him, and as he'd go after him even more, he'd make him again, and he couldn't get near him. And it was just the things he'd done at Coventry that season. Some of the goals he scored was unreal, and you know to go on and have the career he did at Tottenham and Ireland. I mean, even Liverpool, his shorts, his shorts didn't at Liverpool. He still scored about seven great goals, didn't he? And, and yeah, you know, it was what a career, what a career, what a player. Yeah, yeah and he's still he's probably seen as one of the trailblazers over your your neck of the woods, Marv, isn't he? For what he did at Galaxy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Galaxy. Yeah, I mean, he, he scored goals like everywhere, wherever he went. Wherever he but, went. Like, but if, I mean, I've listened. I mean, I love listening to podcasts, so I listened to quite a few of the the. the the football ones and he's been on quite a few and and you can hear that the passion and the energy in his in his voice when he's talking and and he he, he spoke about when he was at Wolves when he got signed I think it was 16 or whatever and he played in the like reserves against the first team in his first game and he said the very first ball came up to him he saw like it came up to him and he had Keith Cole at the back of him and he sort of like stubbed his foot underneath the ball he spun over Curl's head he turned and bodied it into the top corner and everyone he said was like oh my gosh well who is this kid but on the flip side of it some of them were laughing at Keith Cole because his 16 year old's just done this to him and he said from that moment, Keith Curl was chasing him around the field, like whenever he had the ball. So he was trying to like not hold on for it for too long because he was trying to kick him up in the air because of what he just did. <laughs> Hilarious. The thing I found with Robbie was his just his self-confidence. I just think mentally he was like, I've had periods in my career where you doubt yourself. You know, you just, I don't think, now maybe I'm wrong, but he just scored goals wherever he went. So for me, that meant he was backing himself to go in there be the best, regardless of the big names in the dressing room. He was, he was, he was the best. Where, especially in England and then America and international level, he was yeah. the best wherever he went. And he, and he, he often was probably the first striker on the team sheet. Yeah, he was top draw. His confidence levels were off, off the scale. No, definitely. And he always stayed as a striker. Whereas, what, where would you say your your favourite position was on the pitch? Was it a striker? I know you kind of then moved a little bit out to the left. Yeah, I was striker for probably till Adrian Eve come into Coventry. And uh, now Peter Reid and Adrian Eve come into Coventry. Yeah, and they started playing me on the left a bit. And every every time I'd go and play out there and it was just now and again, I'd do a good job and like I'd play well and be direct and put good delivery in because I sort of thought, what delivery would I want? What areas would I want it in? And I killed myself really because I probably had five or six good games there. And then from about 22 probably played left mid in a 4-4-2 for for years and years and then it would then it became like a 4-2-3-1 I was left of a free a 4-3-3 I was left of a free so left wing really uh, I loved striker but then left wing and then towards the end I found that little 10 position quite a nice one because you could just drift into areas where you know you you were always that option on the ball when we won the ball back and that come with experience really and it was probably a bit less running Fair enough, fair enough. So we've got two striking positions left. Yeah. So the first one then. Again, played with him at Birmingham. And this will give it away straight away. International? Uh, Finland International. 
<laughs> I was going to finish first, one. Yeah. First English, first English club was Chelsea. Um, he's I was like, you had in my head. Mikel he's coaching, now, he's coaching now at Helsinki. Um, yeah, Mikel, Mikel Forsell. Yeah, Mikel was like, Mikel was an unreal finisher. He, his hero was like R nine Ronaldo. He'd have all the same boots and that, and practice all. He could, he could do all the skills. He could do them all, and and. He's finishing in training. He used to really just like, you know, when you say, oh, then the Bob, them tricklers, they go in, the tricklers find the corner. And then it, it was happening that often. I was like, you're so spawny with your finishing, Mikael. And he's like, spawny, mate, watch how I kick the ball. And he was, he, he actually like kicked the ball into the ground. He mastered that finish off. And it all, I'm not even being, I'm not even messing. Always touch the far post, far post side netting, far post side netting. And he mastered the finish. And I just looked, I thought, he actually, he's actually doing that on purpose. You know, the longer I trained with him and played with him, it was never much, too much power. It was just precision. His finish, the precision of his finishing was unreal. And had he, it, had he not suffered from real bad knee injuries, he'd have, yeah. he'd have scored loads of premiership goals, loads. Because at Birmingham, what the season I had with him, again, he'd, had, he'd probably been injured the whole season before. And I think he probably scored... 12 in an injury hit season where one was a hat trick a couple of braces but when he got a chance you knew it was going in the net and he was he was quality and a true a real professional you know in the gym his strength and conditioning work um, him and Matty Upson were massive on, on that at Birmingham probably because they had quite quite long injury spells and you know you have to do it to do your rehab and get over it but again just a good pro good, good, uh, good role model for me as a youngster going there yeah, and did he did he help? I mean, you said you liked you put the ball into the way that you thought the strikers wanted it. Did you did you kind of change your left hand side game to, to suit him, or was it something which you always put the ball in the place and it's down to the striker to get there? Now you know he, he used to like he used to like you know hovering for cutbacks, so you, you'd you'd know he'd always make that run, then then you know stop check back for cutbacks. But then equally as well, he used to be in an, in the six-yard box as well, sniffing. And like I say, he had, he had the lot. He had the lot. He had all the finishes. He had the headers. He had the quick, fight, you know, thigh-control volleys. He, and like I say, if he went through one-on-one, you, you knew it was you knew it was ending up in the net. Yeah. No, it was very, very, like you said, very unlucky with injuries. That's what, that's what I can remember. Just, just looking at him, particularly at Chelsea and going, poor guy, he's just, he's so unlucky with them. Yeah, he, he was. Um, Kev Phillips, he was probably the best. The best. He was probably the best finisher I've seen in training. You know, in terms of he just used to like cut. He, he had that curl. You know, the, open his body up far post, yeah. posting in the curling ones, chip keepers all the time. Just unreal. Uh, he hasn't got in, but he, he deserves a mention because he's again he was top before his finishing was unreal. Yeah, definitely. So next to Mikhail Forsell, finishing off his strike force. Yes, finishing off my strike force. Um, Man United legend had a loan stint at Birmingham Newcastle legend played for Arsenal as a youngster played for England yep oh. was, part, was part of a great partnership at Man United um, with Dwight York partner Dwight York did he play in the Champions League final I can't remember if he did or not I mean he, he may have and may have, may have got bought off yeah did Sheffield and Solskjaer come on yes they would have done yeah for those two yeah. you got it Marv Probably started. I'm trying to think on. of it. Yeah, who, who was it? I can't think of his name. 
Oh, he went. He was part of the Keith Gillespie swap deal. Yeah, I know. Same. He's got the same surname as West Ham and Chelsea, Joe. Cole. There you go. Yes, Andrew Cole. Andrew Cole. Yeah, again, not a lot of games. Not a lot of games, probably six games with him. But like I say, I've gone a bit big time with this team. So uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm name dropping. <laughs> Andy Cole, yeah, fantastic. And you, put, you, he was, he was at Birmingham, wasn't he? Yeah, he comes to Birmingham, uh, scored a couple of important goals in our final push for promotion after like the Easter period. And uh, his, his, in training, his, his touch, his awareness, his touch, arm out, pinning, whoever, no matter how big or strong the defender was side on protecting the ball with his body front foot receiving you know and and he, he killed he just killed the pill however it come in his first touch was immaculate probably got overlooked because of his goals over his career but his link up was actually top draw you know and just just watching him in training watching his movement watching his finishing was a little bit starstruck you know how have we how have we ended up how am I ended up playing with Andy Cole here what's going on here and <laughs> Whereas Robbie Keane would have probably thought, fucking hell, Andy, you ain't, you ain't playing in front of me, pal. You know, one of them ones, I'm looking, thinking, <laughs> Andy Cole, I got I got me, bought me my new shirt in the next day to get signed. <laughs> but now, nah, yeah, that was, so he completes the team. And yeah, I think that would probably do all right in today's Premier League, that. Very much so. Was he quiet, Andy Cole? He comes across as very quiet, very um, shy guy. Yeah, he was. He was, he was, like, he was like that. And, he was quite, you know, probably quite, quite deep. And it might have been one of them scenarios like when I said I went to set, you know, when I went to Leeds from Birmingham and you go into a dressing room and you've got people like me thinking, fucking hell, we've got Andy Cole now. So he's probably almost coming down to a Birmingham dressing room having been like on the world stage at Man United for years and years. And sometimes you, sometimes that actually makes you feel a little bit more shy, you know, rather than putting on this front and, and, you know, I can relate to what I can relate a little bit to, to probably why he was quiet and just kept himself to himself because I was similar. I was similar as I got older. You, you drop down the leagues and, and you, you go and meet players in dressing rooms that have just played that level all their career. It, it, it can be a little bit, you know, you don't want to go in there and, and first thing they think is you're loud and you, you're big time. You just want to blend in. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the last, the last thing... Um, chef is like, I mean, normally we could sense who the, that person might be. I mean, I don't know if Andrew might have a guess. You've got to pick a manager who's going to lead this 11. I mean, you haven't really given too many clues of too many people who have really, I'm not saying that they've been bad, mind you, but who've stood out really in your career as, as, as a manager. So which manager is it going to be to lead this 11 you've just picked for you? Yeah, there was loads that had different qualities. Obviously, Strachan gave me my debut. Um, Eric Black was really good for me when he had his stint at Coventry as manager. Mickey Adams was good for me at Coventry. Um, I played for like Alex McLeish. Um, Mark Robbins has been really good, you know, at Coventry now and took them to the championship. I had two stints with him, one at Cov, one at Scunthorpe. Uh, Newley was was obviously good at Luton. I had a lot that I'd you know, a lot of qualities, but I'd say the full package for me was, it would have to be Bruce in terms of my career. I think he was the best I've played for and tactically, uh, emotionally, man management, everything for me, he had a lot. Yeah. Excellent. 
Excellent. Well, thank you very, very much for your time, uh, Gary. It was awesome. And I, um, I know you've got lots of things on at the moment, so I really, really appreciate that, myself and Marv. And that was Gary McSheffrey's My Best 11. 